We are back, and this week we are Coast to Coast JM. Uh, I am joined this evening by a fill-in guest host, Joseph Monticilio. Joseph Weirdness. Joseph, how are you doing this evening? What's up? What's up? Uh, <laughs> for some reason, I thought there was going to be like a... I don't know, maybe it is? Is that like a punk bit? I don't know. Like the title? What? Like I don't know, I heard... Oh. I, there was a moment there where I thought you were gonna say Phil or something, and my brain oh. just—I'm so <laughs> hardwired by in- online wrestling discourse for some reason. There was a like, moment where I thought I was going to maybe call us uh, Joe Lision because of uh, we're recording right after Collision just ended, right? Yeah, but uh, no, uh, coast to coast because we're gonna be reviewing uh, Beast DPW Beast Coast. And yes. JM is obviously uh, your initials, and uh, I don't know if you know what the reference of Coast to Coast AM is, but uh, it's I a radio do not. Show. Okay, cool. Yeah, there's a. It's kind of pretty well known, I think, in America, especially in weirdo circles. It was uh, Art Bell. It's a uh, paranormal and like um, just whatever otherwise like weird like uh, conspiracy radio show that was on through like the 90s and 2000s um, i bet i know like parodies of it like i have heard of it through it being sure. parodied in places yes. yes of course and like uh the the in chikara the the teeter conglomerate was named after a famous time traveler that would call into coast to coast am john teeter oh okay so, like, yeah. so there's yeah, references yeah, yeah. to it all throughout that people know about you know uh so yeah definitely something that a lot of people know about but uh but yeah i was thinking about a bunch of different names but then that just kind of came to me um but uh either way um like i said collision just ended you uh <laughs> because you said we'll record when it was over i figured you were watching it so i actually watched it um a few thoughts to just mention. I love the collision commentary team with like uh, Kevin Kelly and um, Caprice Coleman because uh, there'll be like bugs in the corner for match graphics and things and they just completely ignore them. Not like on Dynamite <laughs> where like Excalibur talks, talks yeah. about everything. They just will not even reference that there's like a fucking match graphic or anything in the corner. They're just like, nope, don't care. Um, no, so yeah, that's rocks. Yeah, they're all, they're clearly moving at like a much slower pace uh, yeah. than Excalibur's mind is constantly moving at. Like they're they're just out there. 
Yeah. No, and uh, and other thoughts from the opening kind of match, and and just in general, like this fucking company now has uh, two world champions, you know, like uh, MJF and Punk, but still like the best champion in AEW is Orange Cassidy. Yes, and the best champion that's under contract to Tony Khan is Athena. Like, correct. It's and when you've got two world champions, and they don't even fucking sniff the top two uh, champions in the company. It's, it's it's very funny to watch. And to think that Athena's not even going to be at like Wembley or whatever. I know. <laughs> She's I know. wrestling on Honor Club or whatever. <sighs> uh, yeah, and they just um, they I realized they put the hook end and uh jack perry match onto the pay-per-view now in wembley that it seemed like that match was not happening and now they're putting that on wembley but no athena it's yeah it's 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 a obviously a tragedy it's right i was really surprised at that uh jack perry um hook announcement like i don't know maybe i've just not been hooked into like dynamite but i didn't even realize they were still going with that thing so I thought it was over, yeah. I thought it was basically over. Even though, like, oh, they're teasing that he was going to retire the FTW belt, it really felt like that was just an afterthought thing, and it was not, like, mm-hmm. meant to be, like, oh, that's that means that this feud is still going. It did feel like the feud was over. So, yeah, just whatever. This episode of Collision also, interesting, felt like, felt like it's, like, was a lot of all-out build. Like, they were looking at the next week, which I guess in some ways kind of makes sense, but... It did make me concerned that, like, oh, no, All Out is in Chicago. Like, is All Out, like, a fill joint? Like, are they letting, like, is it going to be Collision, the pay-per-view, basically? And Phil is going to be more hands-on on All Out? Is that what's going on? Because it really felt like they were doing the booking here as if this was the go-home show for All Out. Honestly, it might be because everything that's been announced for All Out has been from a Collision angle. Like, um, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's only, like, Darby and Luchasaurus and Hobbs and Miro. And those are both collision feuds. Well, they, so they, well and they put, on this episode, they announced uh, Heidi, Heidi Lovelace. God damn it. Ruby Soho. And, <laughs> That's uh, right. And Statlander is, is on the pay-per-view. So, right. And Stat has been way more collision than Dynamite yeah. of late. So. The other thing that Maybe they it is Phil's show. It might be. The other interesting thing they did was it felt like the AR Fox thing that everyone's complaining about. AR Fox, oh, the back and forth and turning on Darby and, or t- turning on Nick Wayne and all that. Like, mm-hmm. it seemed very, very much like it was an intentional, like, oh, we're fixing the problem. Like, oh, they made a mistake on Dynamite booking. It's shitty. That was mm-hmm. bad. So we're going to, we're going to try to fix it here on Collision where we're, you know, and Fox, who supposedly is in the doghouse for messing up, not being able to go to the Windley. Well, this is the island of misfit toys. So we're going to take him on and we're going to fix his bad booking. It really felt like to me reading into it, it felt like that's what they were doing. You know, they're trying to be like, oh, we're going to, we're going to make up for the bad booking and we're going to take Fox because he's in the doghouse, but we don't give up on guys here in Collision, you know? It didn't read to me like collision propaganda. It read to me more like just like classic AEW put a bandage on what everyone's mad at booking. Sure, like sure. this is just like them running like a Mox Eddie pre-tape after the fireworks don't go off right. Like that's how it read right. to me at least. Sure, I could definitely see that, but part of it too, like I said, I just I could definitely see Punk being like, "Oh, you know, if if Fox is in trouble, he can be one of my guys." You know, yeah, that's I certainly not that. beyond him, and I wouldn't yeah. be shocked if uh, 
Punk wanted more AR Fox on Saturdays. So, you know. I mean, Fox, you know, famously Fox was a Gabe guy and Punk was a Gabe guy. So mm-hmm. I would not be shocked to see that he doesn't have like at least something of a, you know, a positive vibe towards him just from that connection, you know? For sure. So I, yeah, I would not be shocked to hear like, oh, you know, I'm, I'll give him a shot. Gabe always liked him. He's just got to be something there. Um, did you <laughs> did you have a feeling? I had a feeling. And this is, again, more reading into the psychology of the world's most fucking insane man. But the golden vampire <laughs> thing and now Punk coming out tonight in the golden trunks, does it feel like he's jealous of uh, Bullet Club Gold and the Golden Elite? Like he's like, why does everybody else get to be gold? I want to be gold, too. <laughs> I don't know about that. Like, I think like yellow's been a pretty consistent know. color scheme in Punk's career. I don't really <laughs> have to read any deeper than that into it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I know, but I just you know, I'm just trying to be as bad faith with Punk as I can at this point. You know, this guy, he's just uh, ridiculous. I mean, that's One how. Last... Oh, that's how you get the engagement. That's how you get the yes. clicks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's it. Just going crazy. The last thing, and this, there's just no question. This one, it's not, it, you don't need to like read into anything. Uh, Punk and Swerve, anytime that they were in there together, just the most opposite fucking guys ever to be matched up against each other. I mean, it's so you weird. Yeah. T- two more diametrically opposed in every way guys. Just Swerve, just naturally smooth, athletically gifted, cool, hip, young punk none of those things it just it was no you know what it actually looked way better than i would have expected like (laughs) that's fair i i agree that it's a strange strange combo and that's why i was sort of shocked it wasn't like more of a disaster yeah i mean punk trying to hold him for the 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 head scissors you could definitely see he was keeping he was barely keeping the wheels on but he did he definitely didn't completely fall apart so I'll give it to him. Uh, for sure, yeah. yeah. That was, that was so, did you have any thoughts any other thoughts on Collision as I just kind of went through my uh my hit list there? Oh, I don't I just enjoyed the main event. I just kind of like the vibe of these like big Collision multi-man tags. This one isn't this wasn't one of the better ones, but it also was one of the shorter ones, which is a point in its favor. Um so yeah, I, I I didn't mind it. I I enjoyed the main event. Uh, Eddie had a great backstage promo where oh, it, yeah. it it had one. It had the vibe of one of those like old Chikara promos from like the mid two thousands, where he's just screaming into a camera. Um, yes. Yeah, delightful. He's the best part of like every TV show that he's on when he's on TV. Yeah, no, that was definitely that was a plus, and yeah, definitely came across like a bit unhinged in just the right way, especially for what we're going into for the pay per view. Right. Um, the I don't think he was... sounded like that since like the end of the Jericho feud. Yeah, yeah, just completely losing it, and and mm-hmm. uh, the great thing about Eddie too is, I mean, you know, you know, you know the guy, but. Great thing about Eddie is like you cannot, you really cannot tell, and like one thing that he does is when he starts getting that that like at wit's end and even on his promos like his mm-hmm. voice will crack he'll be more yes. hoarse he like and you can't tell like is this guy you know and people uh people you know oh he does this thing where he pretends like he's hurt too much and he sells you know it's like oh my god I, i'm so sick and tired of this eddie acting like he's actually in pain thing it's so ridiculous when i hear people say stuff like that i just lose my fucking mind like he's so phenomenal because i buy into everything that he's doing to the point where yeah like i'm now like 
I think he intentionally makes himself sound like he's getting sick as he's getting more and more like off the deep end. He's one of the only people I've ever really thought of who's that fucking like that into this shit. He's that deep into it. Yeah. That he does that. And it's 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 wild. It is. And uh, like when people say stuff like like he's selling too much or it looks like he's hurting, like, I don't know, man, he, he had surgery for a hernia this year. It's only sure. been a couple months since he came back. I think the guy is pretty hurt um, on Fair. top of the fact that he's one of, like, just an all-timer seller. Like, he, he, that's the thing with Eddie is that you'll, you'll just never, you'll never see the border. You, you don't know where it is. And I think that's why people think he's just one of the best ever. Yeah, I mean, he's great. Um, I did, I did have a thought, but we've kind of gone off, off on so many tangents already to... Uh, because when me and Quentin talked about the G1, we really did not break down Eddie's stuff too much. And, you know, I've got the connoisseur of the Eddie, Eddie Kingston. If you had any thoughts on Eddie's G1 that maybe we didn't get into, if you wanted to talk about it, feel free. Uh, I doubt I, I'll say anything like too original. I haven't seen all the matches. I just cherry picked the ones that look good and they were. Um, yeah, the Shingo match is pretty good, but it's like it's like your standard like hit hard Eddie kind of uh, sure. uh, paying tribute to Japan match. Uh, the better, the much better one was the Ishii match in Kirk and Hall. Um, Eddie, Eddie has said about the Ishii feud that he really wanted it to be a series because he didn't feel like they could do their best work in just like one match. And I think like it's shown like all the matches got better. Like the first match was just kind of good. And I preferred the one that they did in uh, was it Chicago or something? It, one, of, it, one of one of the big like oh, pre shows, yeah, yeah. Strong thing, yeah, yeah. No, I, it, they did one on an AEW pay per view on like a pre show, and that was oh, I liked yes, it better. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. then this one was I I thought the best of their promo uh, their matches yet. So quite happy with how that turned out. I'm gonna guess they're gonna do a rematch for the belt or something, and that'll be fun. Yeah, they definitely should. Um, yeah, I think that was about it. I think you mentioned uh, maybe a under-the-radar match-of-the-year contender, as if we needed one after already last week we talked about uh, Ozaki versus uh, Momono. Um, but uh, we've got another one, right? I know. Yeah, the uh, ladies are really pulling through in Japan this year. Um, yeah, man. Arisa versus Sari. Like... All their interactions in the build-up tags have been so violent uh, that at the end of all the matches, their faces are just puffy and swollen and red. It's their being, like, disgusting to each other. And the title match from the Seedling Anniversary Show basically just delivered on that promise. They just clobbered each other, and it was... Honestly, it's probably like one of two contenders to be the best women's match of the decade. Like I don't I think the only thing that could be up there right now is the the Sendai Girls Marvelous six woman elimination tag, and that's how highly I thought of it. Wow. Yeah. They really went in like it was okay. gross. Yeah, yeah. Um, there were a few things that you could complain about, I guess. Like there was some arm work that maybe doesn't go anywhere, but I don't really care about arm work when you're just 
blasting another person in the face. <laughs> yeah. um, like you're trying to take their head off. Like, okay, forget about the limb selling, man. Just keep hitting each other. I'm good. Um, but yeah, highly recommend it. I think you've a lot of people will probably have seen like um, a lot of people listening to this would have seen me or maybe Corvo uh, talking it up online. It's definitely worth going out of your way for. And a totally different vibe too from the Mio uh, Ozaki match. So you're you're sort of spoiled for choice between which of those two you like more. One is the more like '80s heat-driven bloodbath, and then the other is like your more like straightforward Japanese championship style, beat the shit out of each other. So there's just a lot of great stuff coming out of uh, the Joshi scene right now. Yeah, and I mean, you're talking about like blowing off arm work, but Koru is praising that match. So, I mean, how bad can it be, right? He's one of right? the, one of the most pedantic at that kind of stuff. So, I'm just like, okay, it can't be that bad, <laughs> right? Because if you know, if if he could look past it, then that there it is. <laughs> That's yeah. the match, guys. That's it. Um, I did I did uh, record with Sam and Dan Rice. Um just recently and i uh i guess i don't even know what i should say i don't think they care um and we did we mentioned a little bit about terry funk obviously um mm-hmm. but you know i don't know I, i'm not sure when that'll come out and blah 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 whatever but obviously you know it doesn't really need to be said or repeated that much but i mean one of the greatest of all time you know mm-hmm. the top two at least for me i think at this point um, he already was in, I, be, I, I'm, I wish I still had my ballot, but he was in the top three for me on my GWE ballot last time for sure. I believe he was number two. Um, but, uh, but yeah, just, uh, just you know, obviously one of the all time greats, but if you, uh, had any thoughts and, and, uh, you know, about Terry and then, you know, obviously Bray Wyatt as well, but I kind of a completely different situation there for sure. Uh, yeah, with Terry, it's just like, it's so impossible to sum up. Because he did everything, like without exaggeration or hyperbole, he really just did everything, and for so goddamn long, um, yeah, just one of the icons of the industry. Obviously, a lot of people online are, have been paying tribute and talking him up, and like even that attempt to pay tribute is just gonna fall so short because there's just so much. It's impossible. To truly encapsulate, um, yeah, one of the best ever. Like that's it. Like with conservatively, one of the best ever. Yeah, I mean, really, truly, truly. I mean, Dylan, obviously, multi-time guest of this podcast. Um, his whole, you know, basically his whole family, everyone there who know, they know their shit, you know, and. Pretty mm-hmm. much a, a, an entire family of Terry, number one, Terry, greatest of all time people. And it's, again, it's hard to argue. And it's people who have all of my respect when it comes to their opinion of wrestling who are saying that. So, yeah. And yeah, you guys over on Big Egg are doing Terry Funk Month, which uh, definitely I'm going to be following uh, closely, reading everything you guys put out there. Um, so, yeah, everyone else should do the same thing. Check it out. Give them some money and, and check out what they got going on over there. Uh, Brian, yeah, it's going to be mean, fun. Bray Wyatt, I mean, you know, Wyndham Rotundo, my big thing, and I just, you know, I'm not trying to be a jerk to anybody else, but I just, so many people really overlooking, like, this man's family, his 
incredibly large family, like extended and close, but then personally, I mean, four mm-hmm. kids left behind and a Jesus lo- a long-term partner and young, young family. And that's, I mean, truly that's the, I mean, I think the worst part. I'm, so many people talking about the, what was the potential and could have been an all time. I mean, he had, to me, he had a, a very solid career and I think we really saw what we were going to see from Bray Wyatt. That's not to say that he wasn't immensely talented. And if he wanted to, he could have probably had a completely different career, but he -hmm. had the career that he had. But the real, I think the real travesty of this whole thing is a a wrestling family, a huge longtime wrestling family with the the Rotundos and and the Wyndhams. Um, And his young family left without a father. It's that's, I mean, that's the biggest tragedy of the whole thing. For sure. Like, um, you know, it, it was really tough with Bray because I didn't, I sort of didn't expect to be hit by it like the way I was in the sense that, like, you know, it's Bray. Like, we've, we've all said what we've said about his work and his career, especially in the later years. But, like, the, the absolute injustice of him being taken away so young it's just so brutal and i i i don't know i was especially disturbed by uh the idea that it was like uh covid making it worse too like i something about that just made it so crushing uh especially because of all we know already about covid and how you know, there there are all these precautions that could have been taken or whatever, and it just fucking sucks that someone so young had to experience like this this truly extreme and worst case scenario because of it. Yeah, yeah, and that I mean that is obviously a big part of it, and it's 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 definitely it really is glaring to look at it as you talk about that, and you know all the COVID stuff and. And you talked about the precautions and everything else there and, and that there's a new, you know, surging spikes happening here in America right now with another variant and all this and all that. And on and on top of it, like a lot of people, obviously, who I know are, you know, my age and he was around the same age as, as us. So like that's it. I see a lot of people that's hitting them because they're not used to that. And the other thing, too, is like wrestling, like in America, the wrestling scene was not really marred with a lot of COVID deaths. But right. you look and think about Mexico and Lucha Libre and just think like what that must have been like for them because so many wrestlers in Mexico died or were severely injured by COVID. And we really did not see that same thing here. And Bray is kind of the biggest casualty to COVID in the wrestling you know scene in America that we know of. Yes. And so- it, it's one of those things where I think it'll only... I feel like we haven't even seen the last of that kind of thing unfortunately and yeah i think it's gonna get as it comes out in years to come i think it'll only be like an even heavier reminder of like just what the pandemic did to you know the world and the industry um yeah it's brutal and everyone moving forward um speaking of moving forward (laughs) 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 oh wow i know what the great transition right 
um, what else do you say? You know, obviously, like we, everything, hearts, all that go out to the the families and everyone left behind by you know mm-hmm. the passings of two two men, two humans. The wrestling part is just the wrestling part, obviously. Um, but yeah, that's again, as I said, with with Bray, and it's the same with with Terry. Like you know, Terry obviously at his age, that's kind of like it's not as striking, but it's still terrible when anyone passes it's still hard i should say yeah but uh but yeah um we will move forward to yeah dpw best beast coast uh i read your the the big egg stuff about the workhorseman and uh violence is forever cage match and it crossed my mind oh hey you know quentin had uh other other engagements this weekend maybe joseph is keeping up on dpw because i think i knew you kind of are um hey let's just like have you on and we'll talk about the show i hadn't even watched it yet you hadn't even watched it yet but here we are reviewing it um so uh yeah i guess jump right in um dpw you know we both know the production is such a big part of it and the show opens up with you know kind of the signature dpw promos Mm -hmm. backstage stuff teasing vignettes uh videos coming in just Great stuff. Anything stand out to you in the opening here? Uh, you got the co-zone and uh, and Drake uh, kind of interaction that lead into the finish of that Drake's match later. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you have anything to say on that, or we can get into the first match. No, right. Just in general, like I, I'm like the one millionth person to say it, but uh, it's it just does feel structurally like an old ROH DVD, you know. Um, the backstage stuff at the start, um, the color scheme. Uh, yeah, it, I think it, it's clearly like triggering parts of my memory where I am predisposed to feel positively about just the way it looks. And uh, it, it really can't be understated just how slick, clean, and like professionally made DPW looks in comparison to any other promotion in the world even like larger like tv companies could probably learn a thing or two from how dpw puts together and structures their shows oh definitely (laughs) they definitely could uh because yeah there's major companies on tv who their shit doesn't look this good um and their their promos aren't this good and their storytelling isn't this good like yeah um but what can I say? I just had this chat with someone recently uh, where they were like talking about, oh, you know, what's going to what's going to make them fix the booking kind of talking about like AEW. And it's like the ratings dying down, the numbers dying down, like both of the major companies in America right now are their booking is dog shit, but their numbers are great. So they have absolutely no incentive to try to fix it because it's not a problem. <laughs> you yeah, know what yeah. I mean? For sure. Like, it's only a problem if it's hurting the bottom line. It's not hurting the bottom line. Then actually, like it's good. The booking is actually good, even though it's like objectively bad. Um, opening match here on DPW. This I fucking loved this match. Um, Calvin Tankman, Shijihiro Iri, and Jay Malachi. Um, I adore Jay Malachi. I you know I not like he's not going to make my like probably top fifty. No, he'd make my top fifty. He probably won't make my top twenty wrestlers. Mm-hmm. it was just like top 20 wrestlers that i really like he would i love him i think that he's got um for uh, 
amazing charisma, amazing potential. He was did really, really good in the setting here, in the role that he played, especially in the opening with the two monsters trying to duke it out. And he's kind of the fly buzzing around in the background, just getting squashed repeatedly yep. until finally he starts to get in there. Um, just, yeah, phenomenal. And then, obviously, the two big men battling back and forth. And <laughs> I just... Kind of take for granted how big Tankman is, but then seeing him up next to Irie, I was like, holy shit. Like, Irie has slimmed down relatively recently in the past couple of years, but mm -hmm. he looks to be twice as thick as Irie at times. And I'm just like, this guy is fucking crazy, especially with the way that he moves. Particularly, there's an up and over out of the corner where he does the kind of twisting into the, the roll out of the corner that's just insanely impressive for a man of that size. Um, on top of the power that he can use, I mean... Tankman, he's one of these weird ones. There's this, this happens from time to time. These guys who like, and you know, you want to point to it because a lot of times they happen to be people of color that are like the only place that uses them well is MLW and then nobody else books them. And you're like, what the fuck is the problem with how good this guy is? Um, sure. But but yeah, uh, what are you, Joseph, what are your thoughts here? No, yeah, I'm actually with you in that Jay Malachi was sort of the standout for me. And I think that's because he's the one I know the least of these three but like really thinking about it he was also quite good at the tag festival tournament when he was teamed with jackson drake against the workhorseman i think i got that right and he's really good here like he was those he was the standout for me because we we always get these like high flyer guys on the indies who can do all the crazy shit but it's something like this that really makes me like stop and notice where he is applying it so brilliantly in the context of this match where he is just bumping for the big dudes being this uh, just gadfly in their sides and um, picking his spots. I thought he was uh, really smartly working to his strengths uh, against these two. And uh, it's the kind of performance that'll make me want to pay closer attention and seek him out more. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of yeah. That's definitely he's already on been on my list, but that's yeah. This is his performances here. I'm happy that he's getting on yours and 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 showing ass. I think is another part of it too, as you talked about there. Like, obviously, it's it's safe in this setting because he's going up against two well established guys who have like major size on him. But doing stuff like going up for the Malakutter and just completely airballing and taking a flat back in the middle of the ring, like so good. That's a pretty embarrassing spot to do you know it just makes you look kind of like a fucking idiot but he pulls it off and he's not really any worse for it in the end so like it it really works it really works super well and it's just the kind of thing you want to see out of someone at his age that's showing humility you know like being willing to do stuff like that um on top of that like he's just he's fresh off of being in the west coast cup i haven't gotten a chance to check it out yet but i i do expect that he'll have some decent performances there and what what he did do in the sci weekend uh on the future showcase and then showing up in a like a tag team match on night two that was like a non-tournament match like just getting his name out there in some of the bigger like spots wrestling a little bit more on the west coast will be a plus uh i believe i did see him during wrestlemania weekend but nothing that really stood out you know yet but hopefully he'll continue to wrestle here um in SoCal and, and get some get some stuff on the docket. Um, next match, obviously, I'm going to give you the floor on this. This is your guy, uh, Joseph. We got Jackson Drake taking on in the, I guess, the rubber match, the final, uh, maybe, we'll see where this continues to go, but it feels like it feels like it's continuing to go on. 
against sure. Adam Priest. Roll Tide, Joseph. Roll Tide. Um, first of all, gotta shout out the pre-match promo vignette with uh, sexy Adam Priest just chilling by the fountain in the park. Yes. <laughs> that cracked me up. Um, but yeah, another great put together a pre-match video by DPW here. Uh, really sets up the stakes. I thought Jackson Drake was actually quite decent on the promos. Um, he wasn't like blowing me away or anything, but he was solid. He was getting the points across. He came across real genuine. Um, and as for the match itself, there was like a, a, a bit of weirdness where they probably messed up calling it a submission match. Uh, they were probably way better off just saying no pinfalls because that's what it was. Um, there were disqualifications and countouts, um, so just say yeah. no pinfalls. Uh, but yeah, otherwise, you know, Priest he came out with the black and pink, um, the Hitman uh, attire tonight, and yeah, and that's that's just what he brings to every match is just this real fundamental solid just crisp wrestling and i have been like especially high on this jackson drake feud i actually think it's been some of priest's best work this year like secretly uh even outside of the action title stuff uh like i really like the first match the second match this year was also really great um this was probably my least favorite of the matches but still incredibly impressive for the fact that it still felt distinct from the other two uh i liked all the ways that the booking went into it uh the stuff with cozone at the end and finding ways to like make the heel heat make sense uh with the kind of rule set that they were working with uh shout out as well to uh the commentary team for like smoothing out those little uh wrinkles in terms of people's confusion about the what the rule set might be uh but yeah this was really good um probably not my favorite of the jackson drake performances uh i, I probably the second match was probably much better at least yeah. in my memory of this uh but in terms of just telling a story uh, escalating things and moving things forward with the booking. This was just like a real great piece of pro wrestling to me. Yeah, and and I had a thought in it, and and I agree with a lot of what you're saying there in general. I I just do agree with it. But one thought that came to me in this is that like, for as much as I know that, or as much as as much as I know, as I say that, it, I feel weird saying something like that because I think people might think I have like other background information over that Adam Priest like really enjoys working heel um in the setting like this is I I do like this feud and I thought it's been done really well like it kind of was stood out to me and part of it might be the the you know the stipulation of the match but that I just I really do think that weirdly Priest is one of these guys who wants to be a heel is very good at being a heel but I enjoy him more as a babyface um, do you think so? I I think that because of just how talented of a wrestler he is, that when he is babyface, he shows that off more. And when sure. he's heel, I think he really, I mean, because he's so good as a heel, 
he intentionally doesn't do as much of the stuff that I really enjoy because he doesn't want to give the fans a lot of stuff to like about him. Hmm, you know, and okay. that's that's smart wrestling, but it does it hurts my enjoyment of his wrestling, if that makes sense. Um so yeah, I just to me I I like him more as a babyface because he feels a little bit less encumbered by like working to you know his character like working to being a heel when he's a babyface he just works and he's a phenomenal wrestler like i just love him purely in ring like the stuff that right. he does um shout out to uh <laughs> to simon we get the the bastard cousin of handwork here with we get footwork um which i always <laughs> love like and that's the kind of stuff where i talk about as a heel he's also so incredibly clever and he thinks up stuff like using that as a way to be the cutoff and be the underhanded tactic so that he gets control over the babyface who's been shining on top of him um, mm-hmm. by attacking the toast. That's fantastic stuff there. And I even love kind of the subtle underneath storyline here, which is that like the heel, this, this rivalry with Adam priest, this dastardly heel has corrupted the pure babyface jackson drake to where now he's having issues right with his coach and longtime mentor because just seeing the way that this this bastard is able Mm -hmm. to is able to overcome him and seeing that good guys you know the good guys finish last kind of thing you just see it like bubbling up in him where he's just he's so fucking and it's such a great because it is like okay and it's basic simple booking it's not bloodline it's not Cole MJF it's just simple wrestling but it it's it's so much more layered and so much more real where it's like okay now I can understand why this guy goes heel because right. clean cut baby chick you know clean cut white meat baby face ain't working and this motherfucker who's in a lot of ways very similar to Jackson Drake but just an underhanded prick he's making it work he's getting the wins he's you know he's pulling this stuff off and nothing fucking happens to him he doesn't get in trouble when he kicks me low when he uses mm-hmm. a chair he just gets the win and fucking, you know, goes to the pay window and gets the glory. Look, what the fuck? So, yeah, love that. Absolutely love that. Um, yeah, the Adam Priest, Jackson Drake, as you said, that feud, that rivalry might be uh, Adam Priest's, you know, secretly under the radar best feud. I think it might be number two to actually Adam Priest's best work in a rivalry this year, which is against GCW booking, um, being one of the few people <laughs> who is able to have good matches oh in man gcw um yeah so <laughs> it's such a rarity <laughs> exactly. and no but yeah I mean, and I, I, we haven't even touched on like priests like fantastic arm selling in this like both subtle and clear um struggling to lock in the sdf at the end he's he's insane man there is like maybe like five or maybe three people in the world who are mechanically better than Adam Priest. Like, he is in that upper tier of workers in the world, and the only thing holding him back consistently is booking, opportunity, uh, the people he's put up with, like, that's it. Like, if, yeah. if you let Adam Priest loose with people who are on his level or above it, like, it, it's game over. He is best in the world level and has been for like a year and a half yeah it's uh it's crazy and when you say against people better i mean there's not a lot left there that's better than him at this point so right yeah yeah so yeah i mean it's tough it's tough for him not to be slumming it really because there's like 
again, a handful of guys that he can wrestle that are on his level. And and there's still some more that maybe he hasn't had the chance to mix it up with. It's just, I don't know who's going to, who's going to bring him to Japan, you know, who's going yeah, to so Abe or something like, you know, um, and then I guess yes, the closest otherwise... we can hope for is that he'll get like a, another series of dream matches in like WXW or something, right. you know, like he did those dates. So we'll see like the, in, in the perfect world, uh, Adam Priest spends a year in like the Pacific Northwest and wrestles like Icky and Travis for like a year. Yeah. So, you know. I mean, Artie, I mean, could you imagine if they did? Okay, this is not, we don't need to get into fantasy booking land here. Um, okay, DPW World Tag Team Champions, the Workhorsemen, going up against Double Kevin, Kevin Blackwood, Kevin Knight. Um, I don't know why, but I feel like this was a better match than what I watched or something. Like, I just, I didn't. It just didn't speak to me as well as much as I would have was hoping for. Um, sure. I, it was good, but felt like maybe, maybe missing kind of a narrative. There was, there was some interesting, like, you know, new tag team stuff, but really didn't play up too much. I would have liked to have seen a lot more of that mm -hmm. and a play off of the fact that you've got such a well-seasoned team going up against two guys who are thrown together. Yes. Um, but it also felt like that was part of the story, especially with like the post-match vignette that they did. Um, but it just kind of didn't necessarily work for me. Um, yeah. I mean, and it just felt weird. I mean, again, another thing where it played into the story, but just like that, this is like the third match on the card and you've got a tag team main event. Um, but these are the, the champions and the workhorsemen and all that. Um, so, yeah, I just in some ways I felt like this match was just not, I guess, in a weird like a placeholder and just like really was serving the purpose of like filling in like a story in the sure. booking on both parts, really, like both sides of the of the match was this was just like a bump in the road for a bigger story that they're trying to tell. Um, yes. And I think that unfortunately that made the wrestlers treat it like it was in that they didn't put a lot of thought into telling a story in ring. Um, they just were kind of like, let's just go out there and have a, a kick-ass match with a lot of spots and some cool moves, but let's not really worry about too much more. Um, and that mm -hmm. said, I mean, these are all in incredibly talented wrestlers. Um, and even Kevin Blackwood is getting to the point where I think I, I have to like really stop saying that he just like is terrible. Um, he's getting like decent, and he's always been better in a tag team setting. Yeah, um, and I don't think he was ever terrible. Like, sure, he's certainly sure, not on boy. the level of like the people we love, but you know, he's not sure. like useless. <laughs> but yeah, do you do you have any other thoughts on this? Did you like it more than I did? I mean, get some color, get some cool spots, but I just felt like really like, especially following Priest, who's just so good at all that right. kind of stuff, that this was just kind of there. No, yeah, I, I thought it was good because. Uh, I still find that the workhorsemen are just good enough on their own that something like this is just just has a really high floor. But even given that, there was definitely some weirdness there. Like you could sense a certain awkwardness uh, in the chemistry of how some of the spots were coming together. I think what the the one thing that really uh, uh, rankled me was. Uh, 
the hot tag was so poorly done. Uh, something clearly went wrong there because Henry just sort of shoves Blackwood into the babyface corner and he gets the tag and it looked awful, which is really weird because the workhorsemen are typically yeah. very talented at like structuring around like a long heat segment and then doing the hot tag and everything breaks down. But yeah, never I mean, really came together as a whole. Yeah, that's definitely like a very good like particular critique of kind of what i'm talking about in general like which is that the workhorsemen tend to be so much better at detail being detail oriented and a lot of that felt like it went out the window here right it yeah and uh i'm not i'm not the biggest fan of blackwood and knight for knight it's just because i haven't really seen much of his stuff uh Blackwood I enjoy in certain settings and neither of them were like awful here but they clearly were not on the level of the workhorsemen like the chemistry wasn't there and I understand that that's part of the story but it's still like detracted from the match in its own way um that being said all these critiques aside I still thought this was still another really good match um which kind of speaks to the floor of the work in DPW so far that even the stuff we can quibble with, it's like, yeah, I, d I didn't hate watching that. That was pretty enjoyable. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's uh, that's fair. Uh, after this match, we get some uh, post-match uh, Priest and Drake kind of wrap up. Um, you know, we hit most of the story beats already, but I don't know if you have any thoughts on these specifically. You already kind of mentioned it. You know, Drake was actually pretty solid on... Uh, on the promo stuff here. Yeah. And I, I'm hoping to see more of how he like develops. I think that someone that young spending a year working with Adam priest is like the best thing he could do. Uh, so yeah, I just hope he gets like, he improves and does a lot of cool work in DPW. There's, there's, there's no telling, uh, how far he can go. Yeah. Uh, up next, we get DPW Women's World Title Match. Emmy Sankara taking on Killer Kelly. Um, someone definitely told Killer Kelly that uh, DPW is a subscription-based model uh, for their <laughs> programming. Because she appears to be wearing gear that's maybe a couple generations older, um, if you know what I mean. Um, and uh, Joseph, I don't know. Were you there at the height of like the slack being everyone being horny for Killer Kelly in WXW? I, I don't think you were there yet. I was not. I, I've okay. I've only seen glimpses. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying like it was bad. We weren't like you know doing any Me Too stuff or anything in there. But but basically, everyone in the in the Slack chat definitely has a has an affinity for her. Um, and are all, and that's a big part, I think, of why Alexander James is the biggest heel in the slack at this point. If you bring him <laughs> up, I'm sure everyone will uh, will have negative things to say about him to this day. Um, even though he's a decent wrestler, and I mean, he, I guess he works for the Evil Empire, so fuck him, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> either way, um, what did you think about this match? Uh, I hate to <laughs> put, throw a wet blanket on everyone. Uh... I didn't really care for this, to be honest. Uh, of all the matches on the card, this was the one that felt like it sort of disappointed the most. I don't know. I felt like they were doing a lot of shtick stuff, and I know that's a big part of Emmy's act, but it usually kind of comes together a little better than this, and it just never really picked up and got into a second gear for me. Yeah, I didn't love this. I didn't think it was awful, but uh, 
definitely what I came away from the show feeling the lowest about was this match. Yeah, it's this was not anywhere near the best Emmy match that she's been having here in this DPW run. She's been, like you said, really good, even playing up, doing doing the stick, doing the call and response, getting the crowd and everything, which she does really well here still. But there was no there was just mostly all sizzle, no steak kind of situation here. Mm-hmm. Um, Killer Kelly was not bringing her a game and even like, you know, even since she's kind of returned to wrestling uh, after seemingly kind of being forced into retirement early, uh, she has not been, you know, at at that level of quality that she was before. But even here, she was not even bringing the level of like some of the stuff that she's been doing recently in Impact. Um, I hate to say it, but it really came across like, yeah, she's giving like B-show level performance as if, you know, this is just some indie and not really, you know, what it is. And, and I wouldn't be shocked that with someone who is not, really acculturated into the scene as much as you know she could be because she is relatively recently back on the scene not paying attention also dpw is catching fire and has some buzz you know from me evangelizing to you and you telling all the children who subscribe to your uh your youtube channel at least some people <laughs> are paying attention now but you know for the most part nobody's really paying attention i'm still i still feel like i'm fighting uphill when i'm telling people that this is like promotion of the year and should right. be, everyone should be paying attention to it um, I could definitely see Killer Kelly having no idea and thinking this is just a bump on the road and to make some money and not really putting 110% into this. Um, so, you know, that's kind of what we got here. And uh, and Emmy was perfectly fine going along with it and knowing that she's still going to be over at the end of the day and that the For crowd sure. is going to, you know, love her no matter what she does and she'll have a good match next time. So that was kind of that was kind of the takeaway. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, it's just hard to watch something like this when you've seen like what Emmy did against like Miyaki Takase in the Japan show or even like when she showed up on like Honor Club to wrestle Athena this year. It's just it's just really not the same. Uh and I definitely expected more given the names involved. Well, even in DPW, I mean, you talked about the tag festival, but that tag match, I mean, it was a lot of, there was a lot of Gaga in there. You've got the, you know, the magical sugar rabbits involved, but you're still like actually getting some decent wrestling in there. And then, right. And then they're pretty good about balancing that stuff out usually. And I don't think that balance came through here. No, it did not. Um, Either way, following that up, we've got, this is what I talked about with the double Kevin's uh, kind of vignette thing with. Kevin Blackwood showing this message he got saying, if you lose, you need to turn heel or whatever. Um, and he's showing it to everyone. Oh, what does this mean? And they're kind of doing the, what does heel turn mean, brother? I don't, mm-hmm. I've never heard of that. You know, they're, they're, they're kayfabing and then, yeah. Um, and then he shows it to Kevin Knight and Kevin Knight says, that's not your phone. And, uh, you know, Kevin Knight, not the, not the best love. I obviously love the guy in ring. I think he's a really good wrestler. You, are not as familiar with him as you said but i i think he's incredibly talented there there definitely is something there he has in-ring charisma he definitely comes across really cool um promos vignettes even here in this pre-tape not the most natural <laughs> i would say uh because he's like well, <laughs> sure. you know you're one kevin and i'm the other kevin <laughs> like that was like he literally said something like that like i'm a different kevin this is but what he did say was this is not your phone and then he hit that they're both kevin and I think that the giveaway there is that that was his phone, right? Oh, they're both Kevin. I and that's not your phone. 
This is my phone. Completely missed that. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I mean, I think it's supposed to be subtle, you know, but I think it's going to be Kevin Knight's going to be the one to turn because no one will expect it. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, I had no idea what was going on with this <laughs> right. segment at all. Like, they were doing the bit with the, what's a heel turn, you know, like, and it's like, okay, but what is going on? Like, in yeah. DPW's world... What actually is happening right now? And uh, I, I just couldn't quite get a grip on it. Right. It was definitely confusing. Um, but I would say a match that was not confusing and easy to get a grip on was uh, Brian Keith and uh, Andrew Everett here for the DPW national title. Um, I really like the way that Everett wrestled here. And they kind of commentary did a great job of putting it over, talking about that the BK Westbrook feud has ignited something in Everett um, and that he's, you know, wrestling more serious, more grumpy, more aggressive. He's just pissed off. And then I also even love like the kind of the meta story of that playing into that that made him try to go straight up smash mouth against Brian Keith, who's, you know, the strong style Texas badass and basically Keith was able to outdo him there because th this is Keith's style. Andrew Everett got himself worked up and, you know, he worked to work until a jabroni mark tricked him into working himself into a shoot kind of situation. Uh, HH. <laughs> yeah, brother. Uh, he got the <laughs> shit kicked out of him. And, uh, and because he thought like, I'm pissed off and angry and I'm just going to do this, you know, and that was, I thought that that was a really good story there. Um, Pacing, I thought, was pretty pretty excellent. You know, having the crowd riding the wave with them throughout the whole thing, kind of the back and forth. It's tough to do a babyface babyface match like this, but you really wanted to come out of this with Keith still being incredibly over. And in fact, even doing like a title change babyface babyface matches can be very difficult. But I think they pulled it off here really well, where the crowd, like the heat, just completely transitioned. Like the crowd loves Andrew Everett. They love Andrew the Giant thing. And coming out of this, they're really into Keith. Keith has kind of done this all over the place, though. Like, he did it in Freelance recently. He's done it a little bit, like, in West Coast Pro. But they don't really have, like, a mid-card championship. But, like, the same kind of thing where mm -hmm. you come in, you become the ace of the mid-card. The crowd absolutely loves you. And then, like, you know, go from there defending the title and doing the whole thing. So he's going to kind of doing the same thing here. Makes a lot of sense. He's really good at this. Um, it's weird because these places don't really push him to the top like they could do. Like, kind of, we both have seen how well he does in New Texas as right. the top guy. You would think you would push him to that level, but we'll see. And it's kind of neat thinking that, like, he wins the title here and you've got Tankman looming over the back. Tankman talking about he wants the main title, though. So, like, you know, who knows? But he's kind of got Tankman's old title. So that would make sense to maybe go, go into there. Who knows? Um, either way. Like I said, really like the match, um, but pretty basic other than the bigger, like the bigger story. Again, this is another one where it's like the bigger stories outside of the match are kind of more about it than really the story that was in ring. Um, but still, this was a lot more quality in ring, I thought. And and the crowd was buying into everything. And both guys were really clicking when it came to that side of it. But what were your thoughts? Uh, this match actually kind of took me by surprise. Uh, I enjoy Andrew Everett, but I also know that like most of his stuff recently has been like 
more about character and doing the like giant stick and that's a big part of why he got over in dpw so when they were putting over this story that he was like really pissed off about the bk westbrook uh feud and that's making him a little more direct in his wrestling i was kind of surprised how much i enjoyed it like i was sort of just watching along and they were they were just throwing some heaters in there um things like started to really develop into a strong um well-paced good match and i just liked um the dynamic there like i think you're right in that it was very sort of nuanced how they were able to pull off this story of everett playing into things a little more seriously keith isn't necessarily a heel uh in this setting uh but he's able to uh work in control because this is sort of his style of match i just liked a lot of what they were doing everything was hitting strong there was a lot of snap on some of those like suplexes that were being hit i enjoyed it a lot i didn't think it was great but uh up to this point in the show it might have been like my favorite thing on the show so far yeah that's definitely definitely a good way to to look at it one thing that that did cross my mind watching this was the way that the andrew the giant thing and the kind of because that comes from like the twitch and the the podcasts and the guys behind dpw kind of community coming up with like calling him that um it's good that that became the thing that got over and he and he did his whole gimmick around because before that the thing that kind of the internet and the podcast and everyone were talking about andrew ever and i don't know if you remember this was when they were calling him the big dog because a lot of times it looked like he was getting an erection during his matches holy shit no i don't (laughs) oh my god (laughs) (laughs) it was something that uh that would happen and people would say that and he even played into it at times um oh wow okay because Andrew Everett has always been, I think, incredibly online, which is very funny with uh, where he comes from, just because of my history with the CWF and and their 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 feelings towards online fans. Um, that Andrew Everett seems to really love the online fans, but yeah, I I definitely think you know what you said there kind of reinforced my thoughts and really even kind of made me realize that it was even better than I really than even what I said. Because um, yeah, I mean, this is. This is a tough thing to pull off, and they did a really good job of it. Um, that said, right. I mean, I'm 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 really high on Everett and have been for a while, so I could definitely see it being more of a surprise if you haven't been into the, his his run because I thought his national title run has been like really good up and down. Yeah, definitely, and it's it was also strong enough where I do now want to see where the bk westbrook feud goes like that's a feud i have seen zero material from and just from how commentary was putting it over the way that andrew everett wrestled in this match i'm like i want to see where that goes so job well done yeah and another piece of that that's really smart is that that feud um has been so solid in the commentary putting it over and all that that like they definitely don't need the title involved in that feud. So this was a really smart booking because now you can separate the title. You can have Brian Keith have something to do that feels like it has more weight to it. And then yes. the Andrew Everett BK Westbrook feud can continue to build separately from that because it's already big enough without the title. So yeah, another another just point to how smart the DPW booking is, you know. And um, speaking of the booking, actually, like when BK won the title here, it was sort of like... 
it started clicking in my head that all the pieces for just the ideal American indie in 2023 were just being put into place. Like on this show, you have Adam Priest saying, I'm going to be in DPW way more. And then you have BK winning a championship. And then obviously you already have violence is forever in the main event. And they've, they're basically the centerpiece of the company against the workhorsemen. It's like, this is a murderer's row of the top indie talent in the country today. And they're all sort of like locking in with DPW right now. And that's extremely exciting. Yeah. And you even, I mean, you talked about Jay Malachi earlier. That's a guy who's like a DPW original. You don't even see Lucky Ali on this show. Who's like, right. Really like kind of their crown jewel. He's the champion, obviously, but like also a guy that really nobody knows outside of DPW and, uh, and Emmy, obviously, you know, where they can go with her in the title and something like double Kevin, which is like, even if it is, you know, whatever it was here, like that's a team that could develop into something and it would be another DPW exclusive act that no one else is really using. So, so yeah, you're right. There is definitely something here where you go like, okay. And on top of that, we get the post-match from the main event. That is another thing that's like building into this could be the top indie because Right, for sure. Motor City Machine Guns, but but let's talk about the match first, and let's uh, you can go ahead and give your thoughts. We got Motor City Machine Guns going up against Violence is Forever in the main event, as I talked about earlier. On top of that, it's like tag team titles are in the third match from the top, going up against some fucking scrubs who've never been teamed before. You got the two <laughs> two of the greatest tag teams of all time in the main event, but there's no title, and you've got like Dom is hurt, Dom's body is falling apart. Or maybe, you know, Dom is just going to the Eddie Kingston school of being a good seller. Who knows, you know? Um, and uh, and so there's just a lot going on here. But the match itself, outside of all of that, Joseph, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so actually the other half of Big Egg, uh, Colette, was in attendance live for this event. And she was sort of telling me that she... Um, she preferred maybe the workhorseman tag before and that it was sort of clear that um dom was still getting out of the stumbling blocks of his injury recovery um and luckily we have commentary on tape and so they were hitting that point immediately like even before the main event started they were talking about it all show can Dom, is Dom in the right headspace? Is he still uh, too injured? Blah, 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 blah. I mean, they and, even were like, they were even putting it over like, is he going to even be able to be in the match? Right. There was a lot of yeah. like, is Dom okay? You know? And so that by the time I actually got to the match, um, it was a lot better than I was led to believe. Uh, a lot better than I was expecting. Um, man, the the first five minutes just being Koo and Shelly riffing, yes, like absolutely. Please shoot that into my veins. Like yeah. the kind of matchup where it's like, oh, th- weren't these two like in action a bunch of times together? Like, how did we not get more of that? And can we please have more of that immediately? Um, yeah, yeah, the story of yeah, go oh, on. Sorry. And it's two guys who are like in a weird way underrated for that side of their thing 
Right. Like at this point, I think more people really do know how good Shelly is as a technical wrestler and on the mat and stuff. But both of these guys, I think for a lot of people in the mainstream, like their first thought when they think about Koo or Shelly is not, you know, mat technical mat wrestling. Yes. Like um uh like Shelly is like high flyer and Kevin Koo is well, Kevin Koo probably not known to like most mainstream wrestling fans, but you know, people sure, who sure. do will be like he hits hard, but no, they work extremely well on the map. And I was so into that segment of them just like riffing on each other. I thought it was really great and it formed such a strong foundation for the rest of the match. And, you know, obviously Dom's no slouch in that department either. He has like all the legitimate credibility. And even with the arm injury, he's working extremely well with both with uh, Sabin, who he was more paired up with in the early bout of the match. And I sort of loved that like babyface dynamic too, where the guns didn't really want to go after the shoulder immediately. Like they were just content to see where the match would take them. And it wasn't like a targeted attack. And I thought that was a nice way of like distinguishing them from the workhorsemen who were like such dicks about it at, at the tag festival. Um, but yeah, I thought this was great. It really developed. It took its time. And as with a lot of like Violence's Forever tags this year, especially, I thought it got a little squirrely towards the end. But it, I don't think they ever fully lost the thread. It was more stuff like Dom not quite um, slotting into some of these sequences as smoothly uh, as I would have liked. Um, even if that plays into the whole is Dom okay stuff, it still kind of looked a little bit off. And maybe this was just a production thing, but they were just choosing shots where I could see all the wrestlers signaling about where to kick and they were putting their hands up to catch the feet. And I was just like, I don't want to see that. Um, yeah. uh, please pick a different shot. There must have been like three other angles you could have used here. But that happened like one time too many where I was like, okay, <laughs> I, I need to stop seeing these guys catching and blocking the kicks, but still selling them. Um, but otherwise, I thought this was great. Um, yeah, like if maybe just a little more, uh, a little more smoothness in the finishing stretch and it would have been like a, 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 a like top level US indie tag of the year. Yeah, I mean... So I, I saw Violences Forever live for the first time. I can't remember if I talked about it on the podcast. I'm sure I did. Um, and really raved about how much I loved it. And it was uh, Violences Forever versus West Coast Wrecking Crew. Um, and it was it was really phenomenal for a first-time matchup. Really a major dream match for me. But it was very low stakes. You know, I mean, I think it's on tape now. I think I shared the YouTube video of it. People can watch yeah. it. It's, it's, it's really good. But... There was very few fans in there. I was probably one of like a handful of people in the building who really understood how much of a dream match it was. And that's like even including the guys in the ring who I know were all super hyped for it. Um, uh, I say all that to say like uh, I'm really jealous that Dom wasn't wearing this skimpy gear there. Um, no, uh, that is <laughs> one thought, but that is not the main reason I bring it up. The main reason I bring it up is that those guys just had it pretty instantly they had this like really really good uh like chemistry with each other and and sometimes that's not the case even with the great teams even with teams that are this well traveled like you're not right. going to always have it it's like the Eddie Ishii thing that you talked about they need to have more matches they need to kind of build and these 
these guys, I mean, it's four guys and it's, it's something I talked about and I really remember this and it's very funny that I talked about it uh, in regards to a um, tag team match between uh, Future Shock and the leaders of the new school. Where tag oh my team God. wrestling. Wow. Is, okay. Tag team wrestling can be special because when you get four people who are in a flow state together, um, it's incredibly unique, you know, and it's, mm -hmm. it's really very rare to have four people who are all on the same wavelength at the same time to where it almost looks like they're all moving in one unison together. Um, and that was a match where that happened. Um, and you, that doesn't happen just, you know, easily. It's just, it's not like a normal thing, but when you do kind of get spoiled and you expect it, especially with, you know, teams of this caliber, it can definitely be easy to like, you know, forget just how crazy it is to have four strangers get in the ring together and mm -hmm. all be on the same wavelength as if they're like, you know, able to like read each other's minds. It's just not going to come um, that smoothly. That said, I think the babyface heel dynamic and the selling dynamic was really was done really well here, especially because violence is forever is kind of switching their natural or not natural, but their normal kind of state, which is a lot of times coup is the face in peril and Dom yes. is the hot tag. And you're getting the opposite here. Um, they have been working this style more recently. And it clearly feels like it was an intentional shift. It might be real. It might be that Dom is just beat up and it was like a necessary evil. Or it might be, you know, Dom just wants to spread his legs and spread his legs, spread his wings. <laughs> I'm thinking about yeah. that skimpy gear again, you know? Um, yeah. And, and try to and do something different, but it has been a little bit different, but it's not the, it's not the natural state for Koo to be the, you know, the hot tag for Koo to be the, the, the kind of the driving force of the team and for Dom to be the seller. But the good thing was that Motor City, the guns, they came in here and they kind of, they used their natural state a little bit better in that regard, which is that everyone knows that Alex Shelley is a phenomenal heel on the mic. Yes. At this point in ring, nobody really wants to boo Shelley, especially not on the indies. He's looked at as like the elder statesmen of the indies. Everyone loves him. And Saban is just a much better heel in ring worker. He's always been better at being the heel in ring, working control, being like a kind of guy that you don't want to root for. And a kind of the kind of guy that people, you know, are going to have more of umbrance with. So him kind of working the control on Dom more, as you mentioned, was really smart. Him working kind of heel, light heel, working the heat on Dom um, was was really, really smart and made a lot of sense in the context. And then, you know, Motor City Machine Guns ramp it up. They get into the closing stretch. I this is a diatribe. I'm hearing more and more people saying stretch run, stretch run, stretch run about the endings of matches. And I just, I don't know where that came from. I, I feel like it's a fucking, like a Segunda Caeda, whatever thing. But I just, when I hear people say that, I'm just like, do you think that anyone really knows what that means? And I'm just like, do you even know what that means? Like stre stretch run is such a weird thing to talk about when you're talking about a match. Anyways, um, when you get into the closing <laughs> stretch of the match, Motor City Machine Guns are hitting all their stuff just as good as ever. And it's just, it's that thing that I talk about. It's like, you know, people call it the Young Bucks match, the Young Bucks style of tag team match, but it's it's really the Motor City Machine Guns match. And and obviously, I'm on record in saying that the the perfectors of the Motor City Machine Guns style match are the are the the Briscoes. But you know, people think of this as the Young Bucks match, right? But it's really the Motor City Machine Guns and the and the and the Briscoes match. But either way, close it out. 
And um, if you have any rebuttal on what I said about the the wrestling, and then after that, into the the, the closing post match stuff with the Horsemen. No, yeah, I, I I thought this was the best match on the card. Probably, uh, I do think they can do better, um, and hopefully, we'll get a chance to see more of that. Uh, but yeah, the show ends, and it's a really uh, exciting angle as far as I'm concerned because uh, the workhorsemen sort of interrupt the big old celebration, and they try to jump the guns and kind of get uh, repelled. And that's sort of setting up that we're going to get Workhorsemen versus uh, the Motor City Machine Guns. And that is just extremely exciting for me. Uh, like, obviously, both of us here are huge fans of both teams. And that that feels like such a much more natural pairing than Motor City Machine Guns and yeah. Violence is Forever. Uh, just because I want to see J.D. Drake throw these dudes around <laughs> um yeah. uh yeah so that's extremely exciting there's a much a more defined heel face dynamic there uh i'm really looking forward to it and dpw sort of proving the vendetta that you know tag team wrestling is the strongest it is the best it is the greatest um build your promotions around it yeah well like i said i mean it, like i was talking about that with the jaya tribe about you know <laughs> about future shock versus uh, uh leaders of the new school like tag team wrestling is just so much more special because you've got that that extra dynamic of that like two becoming one and two becoming one to to wage all-out war against each other it's like you just don't get that you don't get that in a one-on-one -on -one match the same way um and really sometimes like trios and and atomicos and things like that like it's just i don't know there's something that everyone knows there's something natural about like the you know the coupling of two people, you know, everyone knows that uh, this is a strong anti-poly podcast. It always has been, always will be. <laughs> we do not believe in uh, the possibility of more than two people being in a relationship. Just no, um, a strictly monogamous <laughs> podcast. Yes, yes. Um, that's why there's two of us. You know, and there always has to be two. Um, no, um, but yeah, and and again, it's like it's a perfect dynamic. Henry, you we talked about Koo and Shelley, Shelley and Henry. Now that's something I want to watch because those two are going to be able to fucking just absolutely kill it on the mat together. And they um, had yeah, such and... a great match last year too at Action. Yes. Like, yeah. oh, perfect. Uh, wonderful dynamic all around there. I, I can't wait for that tag. Yes. Um. So yeah, we uh, feel like I plugged Big Egg enough, you know, got to plug Joseph Weirdness on Ko-Fi, whatever else, but feel free if there's anything else you want to... Uh, Talk about shout out and uh, head out, I guess, for the evening. No, yeah, I'm pretty good there. Uh, I guess everyone watched the Masha Nicole match from Defy, uh, which is free. They've just been putting their shows up for free, which is pretty sick. Uh, yeah, watch that. And uh, and Billy versus uh, Priest. That was also quite good. I was surprised how much I enjoyed that, actually. I'm telling you, man, you got, you know, Joseph, I, I, I really do appreciate all the stuff that you do, but. How long have I been saying Billy actually has gotten so much better and people need to be paying more attention? Anyways, anyways, um, we'll close it out. Please, uh, you know, log on to uh, Twitter. Follow me at ROH Dutch. Follow Quentin, even though he's not here at QT underscore Moody. Follow Joseph at Joseph Weirdness. Follow the podcast network at WDKPN. Check out the next episode of Talking Tourneys. I'm going to be on. I'm going to be on there, so that's why you should listen to it. Go give us money at Ko-Fi as well. 
um, to fund. I think uh, I need to build a time machine so I can go back in time and make it so that Chris Jericho never learned about wearing a luchador's mask. <laughs> <laughs> who could it be? We'll never know yeah. who hit the yeah. code breaker. Who could who could be that, you know, five foot six pudgy sunken chest man with the blonde hair sticking out of the back of the Laparka mask? I don't know. Either it's Laparka. <laughs> yeah. Actually, shit. No, I mean <laughs> you just described Laparka. <laughs> That's very fair. That is very fair. Uh, <laughs> Joseph, as always, it's a pleasure. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Tune in next time. Shine boys, 2K15 Taliban. Golf Afghanistan, we don't give a damn. My nigga SGP, that's my fucking man.